G'day and welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode we chat about a specific sea creature, the guest who has spent time and interacted with this ocean animal. Our guests range from marine biologists to divers to underwater photographers, citizen scientists, and people that have an intense passion for marine life. My name's Matt Testoni, and I'm all of the above. And joining me for this episode of the Sea Creatures Podcast is Sue Mason, and she's a biologist who specializes in common dolphins. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. How are you going? Good, thanks. So, common dolphins. First of all, tell us like what kind of brought you to study and be an expert in common dolphins. Yeah, it's sort of a bit of a, a story by default. The common dolphin part of my journey, I guess, it started, I, I went back to uni as a mature age student and I went back to Monash to do my science degree. And as my honours project, I was lucky enough to study common dolphins and bottlenose dolphins in Port Phillip Bay. And at that stage, we didn't know a lot about the common dolphins. We thought they were probably transient. We were just tr- starting to make sense of them. So, yeah, I was lucky enough back in 2007 to do honours on on common dolphins. And it's sort of that interest in them sort of stuck after that. So. Oh, cool. And because you went on and did your PhD on common dolphins? Yeah, so I was working for the Dolphin Research Institute and kept following these common dolphins uh, there was another researcher working on the bottlenose, so it sort of made sense that I sort of specialised in these this particular species. So my PhD was through Curtin Uni in Perth, which was a real challenge because I was in Melbourne, my husband, my house and everything else that I loved and owned was here, but my uni was in Perth and my supervisors were in Perth and another supervisor in Sydney and, of course, my dolphins were here. So probably the hardest way ever to do a PhD is remotely. But as long as you can get to hang out with your your species that you're pretty passionate about, that's probably the main thing. Yeah, I spent from 2011 through to, well, I finally submitted in 2016 and graduated in 2017. So it took a, took a fair smack of time, as PhDs can do. But the study sort of involved some boat surveys and a lot of land-based work, which is sort of quite unusual with, dom- with dolphins in Port Phillip and other locations, especially commons, to actually be able to study them using land- land-based methods. So That's so cool. I just like, that's the dream. I think that's every, everyone who loves the ocean's dream is to do a PhD on dolphins. Yeah, and I'm still pretty chuffed when people say to me, what's your PhD? And all I just say is dolphins, and they're like, oh, how cool. It's like, yeah, I know, it is a pretty cool PhD. So. <laughs> oh, and so you've said common dolphin, and so they're not just because they're common, but what's the difference between a common dolphin and, say, a bottlenose? Or I know locally in Port Phillip Bay there's a third type of dolphin as well. So what's the difference, and how do you tell that? Yeah, so common dolphins are, if you typically see like dolphin stampedes on YouTube, nine times out of 10, it's sort of massive pods of super common dolphins. There are much more streamlined dolphins than the, the bottlenose. They're a smaller dolphin. They're probably around sort of 80 kilos and, and max at about 100, sort of 1.5 metres. And they've got a beautiful gold stripe. And I'm sort of, I'll be biased. They're actually a pretty dolphin. Like if you, if you have to pick out of a bottlenose and a common dolphin, like hands down, the, bottle, the, the common dolphin's just the prettiest dolphin ever. And they have like an hourglass shape on their, on their side. Like I said, it sort of rate goes from sort of a gold to a, a white sort of coloration. And we're lucky enough here in Port Phillip that we've actually got a resident community. And that's, that's unusual because pretty much common dolphins are migratory sort of dolphins and are usually sort of offshore, pelagic. And for some reason, the dolphins, the common dolphins here in Port Phillip are resident. And my thinking is that it's because we've got a, a pretty productive bay. Their sort of home range is quite small. 
the other thing that's unusual, the fact that they're resident, is also that the, the community itself is actually a majority of females with calves. So that sort of suggests that the, the bay itself is really productive and productive enough to maintain and keep, you know, viable a, a community of animals that need a lot of food to basically raise their calves. So, yeah, it's a sort of it's a funky little community, like I said, different to what you normally find other common dolphin communities, but lucky enough to have them on our doorstep here. Yeah, and so in Port Phillip Bay, there's the, like, if you are if you see a dolphin going past, is there an obvious way, but despite its size, to kind of differentiate it from a larger bottlenose? Yeah, it, it's almost a, it's almost, a, once you sort of get your eye in, you can really almost tell that the, the, the common dolphins will stay at the surface a lot longer. And they'll sort of skip through and swim along the surface. They'll also tend to feed and sort of round up fish with, especially during winter, with like gannets and other sort of terns, etc. So they'll be feeding and sort of cooperative feeding, feeding with those birds. Um, so you see a lot of gannets actually diving amongst them. And um, whereas the bottlenose, it was funny because standing on land, we could re- actually we could actually pick the species before we actually found out which animals they were because I was using a theodolite, so we we're able to see through and get great magnification. But we could actually pick the species before we got confirmation through the theodolite. And it just was funny because the bottlenose would sort of pop up and they'd surface and then about 100 metres down the, the water, they'd sort of pop up again. Whereas the common dolphins were like surface, 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 surface. They, it was just a really different swimming pattern to the, the bottlenose. So it's, it's one of those things that once it's pointed out to somebody, it's really easy to pick and to see. But it's one of those things that it's unusual that it's sort of you need somebody to tell you the difference. And it's even funny because the tour boats, the dolphin swim boats early this year, for the first time in a long time, they actually had common dolphins down the bottom end of the bay during summer. And I'm not sure if they're the resident um, Mornington ones or not. But it was funny because the tool boats, the tool boat operators, so Troy and Tori, were sort of like, they're so quick. I don't know how you work with them. They're so much quicker than the bottlenose dolphins. And, um, and they are. They're much smaller and much sort of fleeting and, yeah, just different. And you sort of, yeah, it's just a different, different way that they, they behave, basically. It's really cool. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you, like, are observing them from shore. So what does that do and how do you tell an individual dolphin? Because that's obviously why you're like kind of looking at them from shore. Yeah, so so there's two parts there. So individual dolphins, we need to be on a boat usually and we use photo ID. So, and we have a, a research permit to be up close and, and really able to photograph the dorsal fin of these animals. And each dorsal has different nicks and notches. So it's a bit like a fingerprint. So a lot of my time on my PhD was basically photographing dolphins, photographing their dorsal fins, and then spending even more time because I'd probably, sometimes I can go out in the water and take like 2,000 photos. So a day on the water, as Matt's laughing at me, um, <laughs> day on the water would then, you know, correlate to quite a few days staring at a computer screen, working out which dolphin was which because of all the photos that I would take and, you know, having to cull. So that was, that's how we ID dolphins is their, their dorsal fin. The land-based stuff, so to track dolphins from land, I used a, a, a lookout at, on the Belura Cliff path and it was about 27 metres above sea level and it gave us a distance of about three and a half k's out to out in the bay. And the theodolite is one of those things that if you see a house being built, you'll see something that looks like a, like a, it looks like a camera on a tripod, but it's actually a surveyor's piece of equipment. And if you know, if you set it up with a reference object, it can actually find its place in space. So once you know the height, 
and you have the field set up with a reference object, you can actually get GPS on locations. So I was actually able to track the dolphins and get GPS locations on the dolphins from land and actually create sort of these tracks of where these animals were. But more importantly, where they were actually using. And I was able to show that with the cooler water, the common dolphins actually come in close to shore, probably chasing fish, obviously. So the fish movement drives the dolphin movement. And then of course, during summer, they were nowhere to be seen. So it was just this really seasonal movement that because I was based in the one spot and on a cliff um, lookout, you could actually see it really clearly, which is something that if you were on a research boat in the same time, you wouldn't notice because you'd just be you know, working in an area and find the dolphins. But because we're in the same place all the time, we were able to basically monitor and record this seasonal movement of these common dolphins. Cool. Where did the, where did the dolphins go in summer? Good question. <laughs> That's somebody <laughs> else's PhD, mate, not mine. <laughs> So look, I probably, I would assume that they probably moved towards the centre of the bay. They may even move out of the bay, we don't know. But again, I'm saying that if they did move out of the bay, I think the tour boats have let me know that these dolphins are on the move. So they'd actually notice them in the bottom end of the bay. So Wow. And so you mentioned before that the, like, kind of the pods around locally are female and kind of carving pods. So uh, there are kind of two, po- two kind of pods, aren't there? A male, smaller male pod and a larger female pod. No, well, that's the strange thing. When I was monitoring them, there was only one identified male in the group as up to about 2014, 2015. In 2016, we actually saw some transient males come in. And the cool thing, the reason I know they're male is a couple of reasons. So obviously a female, you can identify a female because she'll have a calf with her. And if you see her on a couple of surveys with a calf, then nine times out of 10, it's her calf. So they will babysit each other's calves. But if they fl- if they actually flip a flip over you can actually see if they've got mammary, mammary slits or not so you can actually see you know male or female by the genitals if they've turned over but the main thing that's really interesting with common dolphins which is quite different to bottlenose dolphins is the mature males actually have what we call a post-anal keel which is basically behind their anus they have this lump so they actually come out of the water um, and which common dolphins will actually often leap anyway they're quite aerial you can actually photograph the whole body and if they've got a post-anal keel, then it's a pretty good indicator, though it's not always correct, but it's a pretty good indicator that they're actually male. So, so I didn't have to use genetics, I didn't have to do any sort of thing invasive to work out that Tallfin for quite a while was the only male within that small community. I, I just love that image that you're waiting for them to leap out so you can tell what sex they are. <laughs> Yeah, it's waiting to look for his bits, really, no, because it's, it's actually, it's, it is a, we're not really sure what it is, and it's sort of, because obviously all, the, with, with dolphins, all the, the genital sort of things are actually internal, it's not an external thing um, to keep them streamlined, so, but it's sort of, it comes on with maturity, but it's not, it's sort of not connected to the genitals, I don't think, so it's sort of this, I'm not really sure what the function of it is, apart from sort of probably a little bit of display between, I don't know, females find it inviting if it's bigger i don't know but it's sort of this non-functioning lump really so yeah interesting that is awesome so dolphins are kind of swimming around the bay and i was reading they you know kind of eat fish and squid but tell us like what a day in the life of a dolphin would kind of be like probably a majority of i guess would be just cruising around looking for food. The common dolphins in particular like bait balls of fish, so they'll sort of round up big masses of fish and they'll gorge themselves stupid for a bit. 
And then once they're all fed and a bit happy, they go off and be social. Yeah, and some, sometimes if there's lots of males and females in the group, there'll be a lot of mating sort of happening sort of stuff and touchy-feelies. And then then they can get a bit sleepy and snoozy as well. So that's, it's funny because sometimes as a researcher, they would come and interact with the boat and, they, and we couldn't get rid of them. They'd sort of just, we'd try and leave the group and they'd stick around and be bow riding or wake riding. And there were other times that you could just tell that they'd had enough and they just wanted to be left alone and... So they're a bit like people in the sense that sometimes they can be really social and sort of interactive and other times they didn't want a bar of us as researchers. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Ah, yeah, because yeah, I've, I've seen, I've had a bit of interaction with bottlenose dolphins and the community I came across, they were so, they would jump up out of the water and squeak at you when the boat came wow. near. Where was yeah. that? That was in Mexico and they were saying that it's a really unique population of bottlenose dolphins and just excited. Like when we pulled up in the boat, they spent about three hours because we got, we got there at night. They spent about three hours yeah. poking their heads out, just kind of squeaking oh, at us. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then we, you'd get in the water and they'd be like, they'd just be going crazy around you, you know, just yeah. checking you out and swimming. And actually I often describe them as a bit evil because they'd swim up to you. And I remember one swimming up to me, I was in about 10 meters of water. It swam up to me on its belly. And it's like yeah. kind of just staring at me. And I was just staring back. I couldn't even take photos. I was just mesmerized. Yeah. And it felt like, you know, it felt like about five seconds. The next thing I know, my watch is beeping, telling me that I'm <laughs> like 45 meters. And the dolphin was just giving me this grin, like this evil <laughs> grin. Making you go deeper and deeper. Yeah, I reckon there's a little bit of evil in some of the dolphins. And I often think about that. Is it the Simpsons episode with Snorky the King Dolphin? Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of evil in them sometimes, I think, ready to take over the world, really. But, yeah. <laughs> so um, some of the dolphins, I reckon the commons, it was almost a bit of a personality thing because there were certain dolphins that will actually come to the boat more readily than others. And I'd have to really, I, like, I, I knew the dolphins by their dorsal fins and their coloration and those nicks and notches that I was talking about before. And I could ID them out in the field, with, which, again, is really rare for common dolphins. And so, I, you know, they'd often be um, tall fin and ester and ragged fin would be by the boat. And yet I'd have to look really hard for other animals like Barrett, who would be in the group somewhere, but often off in the distance. So... I really, I think that there's a, you know, there definitely there's different personalities, almost like, you know, dogs. Some can be really social and some can be a little bit aloof and a bit elusive. So, yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. Is that their actual, like, is that the kind of names you gave them, like, properly, like Ragged, Ragged Finn? And, or did you have, like, other names like um, Charlie or? Apart from Barrett, Barrett was named after a volunteer of mine who passed away and she was, you know, amazing help. help. But I tried to name them based on their, the features of their dorsal fins because what it meant was that I could see that who was who quite clearly but also Dave Donnelly who was usually my boat driver and my volunteers could actually pick up the, the sort of the clues really quickly so we're all sort of talking the same language we're on the boat so we'd be sort of you know if we're surrounded by dolphins you'd be able to go right okay well I can see v-nicks over on our left hand side and ragged fins over on our right tall fins coming up alongside so we tried to tried to use names that sort of reflected on those those dorsal fin features that made it really easy to sort of you know a recognise when we're back in the office, but also recognise easily and quickly out in the field too. And so, what's the coolest thing you've seen with the dolphins? What's the most memorable or your favourite experiences? I think for me, it's just I used to I call them my bay puppies because it's almost like going out to see 
these animals and sort of continually learning about them and seeing who's got calves and and what they're up to next, I think, and who's hanging out with who. And there's always cool, you know, I think any time I'm on the water with these animals, I'm, you know, mesmerised by them and, and recognise the privilege that I have as a researcher. So I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of any one particular dolphin story. I could probably think of a thousand um, humpback whale stories, but for the dolphins, those dolphins, yeah, just, I just love, just love being on the water with them. I love trying to work out and put the pieces of that jigsaw puzzle together to try and work out which animals, which or why they're doing certain things or why they're where they are at this particular point in time. So yeah, for me, it's a bit of everything with these animals. Yeah. And I guess when you say like um, certain place in a certain time, because they are all over the bay like I've heard reports everywhere and I, I haven't actually seen any of the local ones from my local beach but people are always like oh 10 a.m every day or like this kind of thing it's, it's just really cool yeah that's the bottle nose that'll be using the whole of the base so the common dolphins are really small range between that Mount Eliza and Mount Martha sort of area the bottle nose will use majority of the bay and be sort of a lot more of them further south during the, the warmer water, but they'll sort of move up towards the rest of the bay. And you'll often see if there's gannets diving, especially during winter, you'll see the, the, the bottle nose will be underneath them as well. So, yeah, but they, the bottle nose definitely is more of the bay than the common dolphins do. The common dolphins have quite a limited sort of range and area. Okay, and that's more from like around the Mornington area and down. Yeah, yeah. So I'll often talk... I'm, Mornington's a great spot. So during winter, sitting at Snapper Point with a coffee, nine times out of ten, I could usually sit there with a coffee and find the dolphins. So, which is really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And do you still spot the same ones from like when you started looking? Yeah, look, I think they are. Since I've left dolphin research, I haven't actually been out in the boat to get fin IDs, but I know that there's still those still the same animals are still out there. And the other thing is that there's a charter fishing boat, the Plover, Bay Fishing Trips, that runs out of Mornington. And they see the common dolphins all the time. And the boat is not a tool boat, but they only have to leave the harbour. And if the common dolphins are around and in the mood for a bit of bow riding, they will chase this boat and end up on the bow. <laughs> so Sandra and Stu and their crew often see these dolphins. And it's like, oh, yeah, we saw Esther today or we saw Torfin today. So, yeah, so it's pretty cool that um, some of the local community actually see them and know who they are as well. So, yeah. Ah, that's awesome. I'll have to get out on that boat. It sounds awesome. So I've got to ask like a bit of a geeky science question. I was doing a bit of research about the common dolphin and I just found that there are about a million contradicting facts. Some people are saying that like there's all these different subspecies and different species, but they're the same species. So is the common dolphin we see the same one worldwide? I think there's about 6 million of them, they reckon, or are there are there subspecies? What's the latest information? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one because at one stage there, there was long-beaked common dolphins and short-beaked common dolphins and then sort of got clumped into just, no, it's all common dolphins. But I noticed only a couple of weeks ago that the latest uh, sort of marine mammal science sort of taxonomy thinking is that there are some dolphins that are long-beaked common dolphins in the northeast Pacific, which is the US, um, and other locations. But, yeah, it's one of those, it's often it's often in taxonomy sort of stuff. It's what they call the splitters and the clumpers, basically. So somebody splits up the groups and then somebody else clumps them all together. So the general thought is at the moment that the, the main majority common dolphins are short-beaked common dolphins, okay, but we just call them common dolphins as a collective. 
but there's a, there's patches of long beak common dolphins. So yeah, splitters and clumpers, whew, it's a hard one. So yeah, I'll just stick with short beak common dolphins or common dolphins, and the, the ones in Port Phillip are, are just short beak common dolphins. So yeah. ah, cool. And so there is a diff- another third species of dolphin in the bay, in Port Phillip Bay, isn't there? Ah, uh, yes. And we'll probably talk about that one at another time, actually. Depends on who you talk to, Matt. <laughs> I was kind of going to yeah. ask a bit of a, you know, leading question as to, you know, yeah, there seems to be a bit yeah. of um, infighting within the dolphin research. of. Uh, well, it isn't, it isn't. If you go to the Society for Marine Mammalogy and their taxonomy page, the Baranon dolphin um, needs more evidence to show that it's actually a, a valid species. And the Society of Marine Mammalogy are the demigods of taxonomy and inform the IWC and the IUCN. It's not my field, so I'm not willing to sort of step in and say either way because I'm not a geneticist and I'm not a taxonomist. But, yeah, I think people do need to realise that while there are some that think it's a new species, there is a whole other group of scientists out there that are the demigods of the marine mammal world who currently state that the species is not valid and is questionable unless there's more work done on it. Ah, I love a bit of um, science controversy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's how science works. It's sort of one of those things that we need lots of evidence to show, to really prove things. We can only prove and disprove. So, yeah, so there's there's more work to be done, basically, to show that it's actually a valid species. So hopefully that will happen one day. Yeah, and it, it's that questioning of research and it's all those kind of like, you know, checking other people's things that create good science. So it's kind of good to see. Yeah, it is. And sometimes it can be, science is slow. Sadly, science is slow. By the time we sort of do the research, collect the data, analyse the data, um, write it up and then submit it to journals, it can take a really, really, really long time to get things published and accepted. And um, there's a bit of heartbreak in the mix to that as well. As well. So it's, you know, it's, it's one of the beauties of science. Like I, I do love the fact that it's evidence driven and you have to prove yourself amongst your colleagues and your work amongst your colleagues before it's really accepted. And that's a good thing, but it is extremely time consuming and test your patience. I, I absolutely love science, but some days it drives me nuts too. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to get out in the water and do the cool parts of it, the uh, photographing yeah. and seeing oh. the dolphins. Absolutely. And then you spend hours and hours and hours just, you know, rewriting a paper or, you know, consulting with different people about what, you know, they think this might be or, yeah. But like you say, the fun stuff is the field work and that's what drives you in the end of it. Not only that, what drives me is is just I want the best for these common dolphins. I want them to be protected. I want people to know about them. I want them to be a species that stays in our bay. I want them to be well managed you know that's that's what drives me it's not it's not even me it's not even my science it's actually having a group of animals that are you know partly protected and managed well because of my work so yeah and they're definitely a special creature yeah absolutely yeah you, when they do interact with the boat and they roll on their side and you're an eyeball to eyeball with a, a marine mammal it is the coolest thing in the world to be wondering what they're thinking and you sort of know that they're wondering what you're thinking pretty special and so do you have any cool facts about common dolphins or dolphins in general yeah, what have I got? Let me see. So things like, so we've got cetaceans in general are whales, dolphins and porpoises. Porpoises actually have different shaped teeth to dolphins. And one of the things that, so the porpoise teeth can be quite a, like a spade-like type shape, whereas dolphins have more conical teeth. They don't chew with their teeth. They actually basically grab a fish, toss it around, stab the fish with their teeth 
and then actually tr toss it around a bit so that they're, um, they, the fish can actually go down to their stomachs um, head first. But one of the ways that we can often tell just species alone, for example, if we have a stranding and sometimes with a stranding, the animal might be bloated or the skin's discoloured or has that over time, the skin will actually deteriorate if the stranding's been on the beach and the animal's dead. But we can actually identify the species purely because of the number and the spacing of their teeth and the size. And so the other thing we look for too is dolphins are really quite vicious and wicked. And so they will actually belt each other up. So the other thing we do is we'll actually look for the spacing of teeth marks on each other to work out if it's just like a same species or whether it's another species actually attacked sort of that, that, those particular dolphins. So teeth are really sort of important in terms of ID and ID of interactions of other dolphins. Wow, that's awesome. I just love it. And I love that they're kind of like just roughing each other up, you know, having a cheeky bite here and there, like, because they're not, they're, they're quite strong and can be intimidating animals when you see them face to face. Yeah, and they'll actually, like overseas, where they've got harbour porpoise in the northern hemisphere, bottlenose dolphins will actually come along and actually belt up to the point of killing harbour porpoise. Wow. So they're pretty vicious critters and they will do it also to, um, to calves as well of the, of the same species. So people often think the dolphins are really, oh, they're fun, they're happy, they're really like it. Yeah, sometimes, but sometimes they can be really nasty too. So, yes. Oh, wow. And so if you want to go and see dolphins, what's the best way to kind of see dolphins or like get a close-up experience? And, and what yeah. kind of rules are there around swimming with dolphins that you should be careful of? Yeah, so they're, they're pretty strict. So in, in Victoria, we have really solid legislated marine mammal regulation based on distance. So that really the best way to actually have a, a great interaction with dolphins is actually we've got three dolphin swim boats that operate in Port Phillip, but there's possibly going to be a fourth one by in December or sort of sort of after November. They're about to just doing the dolphin licenses, swim licenses. But they're the best and the safest way because those boats all operate under guidance with you know trained guides good operators and they pop out a, a mermaid line so you basically jump you'll, you'll get off the boat and you'll hang on to a mermaid line and the dolphins will hopefully come to you and because they're regulated under permit they can be within 50 meters of the dolphin from a reef from a vessel if you're actually out and about on the boat and you're on a recreational vessel then you need to stay 100 meters away from the dolphins and swimming, I think it's about 30 metres. The, the guidelines are really complicated. It's, it's different distances for surfboards, it's different differences, distances for vessels, and then the distance changes again if it's actually a whale. So it all can be quite complicated. Jet skis have to stay 300 metres away, regardless of whether it's a dolphin or a whale. Yeah, so that's, that's the bottlenose. If you are interested in the common dolphins, there's actually um, Wildlife Coast Cruises out of Phillip Island will run dolphin uh, cruises out of Will and Cows. So you can actually see the common dolphins off Phillip Island certain times of the year as well. So yes, yeah, so the bottlenose swim boats in Port Phillip Bay, Southern End, and then the, like I said, Wildlife Coast Cruises off Phillip Island will tend to see the bottlenose, sorry, the common dolphins. So you can sort of see two species, which is pretty cool. Well, Thanks for coming on the show. And I know that you are doing a kind of a cool project at the moment. You've kind of started something cool. So before we go, tell us about that. Yeah, so I am running a social enterprise business called the Cetacean Science Connections with my sort of moulding my two passions, which is education and obviously marine biology. 
So there's lots of little things. So one of them is I'm I, I, on Instagram. I post as the caffeinated biologist, and that's a bit of fun on Facebook and, and Insta. I also maintain a Facebook group called Common Dolphins Victoria, which is where I'm encouraging people that do see common dolphins to basically share their photos in a closed group, so that we can sort of share and and sort of keep things maintained and positive and share where we need some research etc and then the other one that i do too is a thing called photo id at sea so i'm using the hashtag uh, photo id at sea on instagram and so where people are taking photos on commercial vessels so wildlife coast cruises or the tour boats in port phillip or wilson's prom if they hashtag their photo with photo id at sea um, i'll get to see them and maybe their photos would be of interest to me and their, their fin id for the fin id catalogs that i keep as well of the common dolphins and then i guess finally the other thing that i do too is because of my teacher and my teacher background is that i have an absolute passion for girls in science so I'm sort of um, working towards programs called Cetacean Sisters and really, you know, encouraging girls into science through whale and dolphin research. And, and that's, that's an, I mean, the common dolphins are pretty close to my heart, but girls in science is a, it's a, another big sort of passion as well. So. Uh, like, I think it's just such a great idea of how to, um, yeah, get especially girls more into science, you know, nothing more cool than the dolphin. Yeah, absolutely. And most, what girl doesn't love a science, a, a, a dolphin or, you know, I don't know how many girls say to me, oh, yeah, when I grow up, I want to be a marine biologist or that was my dream when I was, you know, at school, I wanted to be a marine biologist. So, yeah, I got to live that, I get to live that dream um, and I want to be able to share that with as many girls as possible and, and especially the girls that I do teach, I want them to have, you know, my real life experiences of science and hopefully encourage them into a field of science that they're comfortable with too. Yeah, and I'll, I'll post all kind of links for that. But thanks again for coming on. It's been awesome. No problem. Thanks, Matt. Sea Creatures Podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by myself, Matt Testoni. If you like the show and you want to show some support, head to our Patreon account where we take a little monthly donation that helps with the running cost of the show. Production assistance by Georgia McGrath and music by Dan Musel and his rockin' slide guitar music. If you want to learn more about different sea creatures and see what's coming up, Check out the Sea Creatures Instagram page, which is Sea Creatures underscore podcast. Or if you'd like to see some of my photography, that's Matt underscore Testoni underscore photography on Instagram. Tune in next time to hear all about the elusive pineapple fish. Yes, it looks like a pineapple. This has been the Sea Creatures Podcast. Over and out.